It's time for the Football Insider episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert and Tony Morrell. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Football Insider episode. J.C. Sherbert here with you uh, after a break, um, along with Tony Morrell, the GCI. Um, Tony, uh, not a lot going on, uh, as the whole world seems to be kind of paused right now because of the coronavirus scare, but um, South Carolina certainly... uh, uh, they say recruiting never stops, and I guess it doesn't. The Gamecocks have gotten two commits since we last uh, talked to our audience here, including a quarterback. I guess the quarterback for this class, uh, Colton Gothier, Gothier, Colton Gothier, uh, out of Decula, Georgia, Hebron Christian Academy, six three two zero five. And and Tony, your kind of impressions of him, you know, kind of, to me, just the the, the ten thousand foot view of it is type of quarterback the Gamecocks probably need to sign in this class because they do need one. But with, you know, Doty and then possibly Stockton in 2022, you know, you're probably not going to go out and sign that elite guy. Uh, You you probably need a guy like this that can come in and kind of develop. Yeah, I think he's a good fit in this class and a good fit in Mike Bobo's offense. Um, You know, seen some comparisons to Charlie Whitehurst, former Clemson quarterback and, you know, guy who played the NFL for a long time. And I do think there are some similarities at the same stage. You know, a, a solid athlete, not a not a statue by any means in the, in the pocket, but definitely a, a pass-first quarterback and a guy who has a good arm, uh, has been, you know, playing the quarterback position for quite a while and, and is someone that Mike Bobo uh, really evaluated closely after taking the job. I think he – he wanted to take a step back and and you know see what all options were out there in terms of 2021 quarterbacks before he he made a push for any and then uh, you know once he he evaluated Gauthier and and or Gauthier and, and the other guys that were available he decided to firm up that offer and push for him and he was a guy who's been high on South Carolina for a while now I think he just was waiting to see you know, what Bobo's reaction to him was and, and whether he was going to push for him. And then once he did, it didn't take him long to get in the boat. So I, I think he's a good fit. And, and like you said, with, with Doty on campus now and, and uh, South Carolina in good shape with Gunnar Stockton, although they can't assume they're going to get him. But I think 2022 in general, that class is better in the Southeast for quarterbacks. It's looking like right now. So even if they don't get Stockton, they should have some other options. But uh, you know, like you said, I think it's a it's a, a take that makes a lot of sense right now. Yeah, I, and you know, I, I broke down the film the other day, and, and I, I too uh, think Charlie Whitehurst is a good comparison at the same stage. You know, Charlie uh, was a guy that did not really have a ton of offers and attention. Now, now Colton had Old Miss and Louisville and, and some other schools like that. I think um, so. So it wasn't like he was a, a one offer guy. Um, but people don't people don't remember Charlie Whitehurst was kind of a, a late addition. I think Clemson beat North Carolina on him. You know Willie Simmons, Shotgun Simmons, remember they called him, uh, was the starter for them, and they thought he was going to be a starter for them in a while. And then lo and behold, Charlie Whitehurst beats Willie Simmons out in '02 and ends up being, um, I know, a pain in the Gamecocks' butt for four years and <laughs> a pretty good quarterback at Clemson and certainly did stick in the NFL for a while. I think a little of Blake Mitchell, too. I mean, you know, I remember Blake uh, as a prospect out of LaGrange, kind of that same 6'3", 6'4", guy. I think Colton's a little more mobile in the pocket than Blake Mitchell, maybe, uh, which makes me lean more towards the Whitehurst comparison because Charlie Whitehurst was, 
you know, definitely, like you said, a pass-first guy, but he could move around a little bit with his feet. And I, I think nowadays, Tony, and I'll see if you agree, agree with me on this, in college football these days, I think you have to be able to pass the ball first and foremost. I think the days of lining up a running back at, at, um, at quarterback and making it work consistently, uh, unless you're Kentucky last year, um, and have a specific scheme fit and all that good stuff. I think that those days are kind of behind us. I think, I think nowadays, you know, teams are learning that you have to be able to pass first, but you also can't be, you know, like you said, a statue back there. You have to be somewhat mobile. So ideally you have a guy uh, that can pass first and foremost, but that can also uh, get it done with his legs in terms of, of being a little bit elusive, moving around in the pocket, escaping pressure from time to time, you know, not necessarily a Lamar Jackson type of guy, uh, but a guy that can move uh, when protection does break down. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think Ryan Holinsky will prove to be a bit better athlete than he was able to show in his first year because of the injuries he sustained, the knee, the the shots he took to his lower body. You know, he, he I think, looked slower than he really is. That's not to say he's going to beat Luke Doty in a race anytime soon, but but I do think he's, you know, can can do a little bit more in terms of buying time and escaping the pocket if he can stay healthier in 2020. Uh, but I, I I agree with you totally that that you, you have to have that in a quarterback in today's offenses, uh, especially in a conference like the SEC when the defenses have so much speed, and and you're going to face teams week in and week out who can get after the passer and and you know disrupt in the backfield. And if you, if you have someone who's a statue back there, unless you have, you know, the best offensive line in the country, uh, you know, a guy like Jake Fromm, for instance, with, behind Georgia's offensive line, they found a way to make it work for the most part with a guy like that. Uh, but you better be really, really good up front uh, if you're going to have a guy who, who can't get out of there and, and, and buy himself some time in, in certain situations. So, uh, yeah, I would put – you know, Gothier in, in somewhere between Doty and, and Helensky. You know, he's not the athlete Doty is, but he's a better athlete than Helensky. And, and you know, if he can develop as a passer and, and really thrive under on Mike Bobo and his coaching, then you know he's got a chance to to help the Gamecocks win some games over the course of his career. Yeah, I'm with you there, and I think it's the perfect type of guy that you have to get. You know, in terms of you know South Carolina was one of his better offers for whatever that means. Uh, he was attainable, liked the program. Uh, Dan Werner actually got the ball rolling on him. Uh, Dan Werner, I think one one thing he proved during his time uh, at South Carolina is he's pretty good at evaluating quarterbacks. I mean, the guy can go get it done, I think, on the evaluation end of things. And certainly Mike Bobo has a history with that. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, you mentioned that about being able to move around. And I would just encourage, look at Joe Burrow from LSU. I mean, certainly he was one of the most accurate passers in the country this past year. But think about how much he accomplished buying himself time in the pocket. Um, I think when you look at some of the games Jake Bentley played at South Carolina when, when, when it was really good, um, you know, he he was able to escape pressure, buy himself time, and make plays down the field. I just, I just think that's the way the game's going. Trevor Lawrence does the same thing. You know, Trevor Lawrence is not a statue in the pocket either, so – uh, I would encourage people to kind of take a look at that. Go take a look at the film. Um, he does a lot of things with his arm and with his legs. Not the greatest competition in the world. Uh, I will caution people on that. But, you know, he, he's not a guy they're necessarily bringing in to start uh, from day one. Uh, the next commit, Tony, was interesting. And, you know, South Carolina under Will Muschamp, I, I sort of uh, sketched it out. 
it's kind of been a mixed bag when it comes to JUCO and transfer defensive backs. Um, you know, you have Jamarcus King and, and, and uh, Keyshawn Nixon that certainly were guys that contributed and started. Uh, Keyshawn Nixon, ironically, is in the NFL. Um, then you have your guys like Nick Harvey and uh, Caleb Chalmers that you never really heard of. You have JT Ebay, who was less than ideal. And then Jamel Cook, who got kicked off the team again and never played. Um, and so I understand the hesitancy by some when they're, oh, there's a JUCO DB. But Marcellus Dial is kind of a different story because he's an in-state kid that I know they've tracked. He's from Woodruff, South Carolina. The last defensive back to come out of there was Derek Jones, who's now an assistant coach at Texas Tech. He's been coaching college football for about 20 years. He went to Ole Miss from uh, Woodruff, I think, back in the 90s. Um, uh, they put him at junior uh, Georgia Military. Uh, things have checked out. You read a lot about him from his uh, – Seven on seven coaches, and you know you, you kind of dig in uh, in terms of the, the background at Woodruff. Uh, and Tony, he's a, he's a good athlete and an in-state guy, and a guy that I think will come in and work hard. Um, you know, provided he qualifies and gets out of Georgia military. There's not a lot of Georgia military film on Marcellus Dial, uh, but looking at his high school stuff, man, he's a playmaker and a and a really good player. Yeah, I think the staff has had better luck with junior college transfers than they have with taking graduate transfers or, you know, transfers from other programs. Uh, you know, in the case of Jamel Cook, um, you know, I think you, you have more to go on in most cases. Obviously, Tavian Feaster is a, an exception to that rule, a guy who really came in and, and was a big part of things last year. But other than him, you know, these, these graduate transfers uh, have been more missed than hit. Uh, but I think with the junior college guys, um, especially, like you said, an in-state player who the staff has been tracking since he was in high school, uh, he comes from a, a good, good hard-nosed program. Woodruff is you know, known for, for having really good defenses over the years and, and having some hard-nosed players, and, and I think Dow fits the bill. You know, a comparison uh, was made to D.J. Daniel, who also came out of Georgia military and uh, was committed to South Carolina for quite a while and eventually decommitted and signed with Georgia and, and played quite a bit in his first year in Athens and, and could be one of their starters this year. So, uh, you know, if they could get a player along those lines, I think it makes a lot of sense. You look at, at, at J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu, both are on the NFL radar. I would say, you know, of the two, Horn might be more likely than Mukwamu to go early to the draft after uh, the 2020 season if he has a big year. So I think if you're South Carolina, you have to plan ahead for that possibility. And and even if he doesn't, you you could you know if you hit a you hit on a guy like Dial, he comes in, he makes an early impact and is an immediate uh, contributor for you. We could allow you to play Mukwamu more at safety in his final season if he returns. So. It just—it's it, a position where they have to continue building depth. They have to continue adding playmakers, and you know, Dial's a guy in that five eleven, six feet range, 180, 185 pounds. You should be able to add a little bit of weight in his second year at Georgia Military, and and be a player who can come in and compete uh, for playing time right away. Now, for whatever reason, it seems like a lot of the Georgia Military guys don't get out at mid-year. Um, there, there are some exceptions, but 
a lot of them end up having to, to take that extra semester of classes and, and not enroll until the summer. And obviously, if that happens, that could reduce his chances of being a, a player who competes for a starting spot or even a you know third third down type spot at cornerback or the third corner in the rotation. But if he can get out early and, and get in in January, go through winter workouts, go through spring practice next year, I think he's a guy who could uh, make some noise. Yeah, thinking through it, uh, I think Devontae Davis got out, did get out mid-year. He did. It was a surprise, yeah, but he did. I was stunned myself, really. That was <laughs> that was probably like the most surprising thing about the recruiting class that I didn't talk about a whole lot. You know, I was like, oh, that's, that's kind of surprising to me. I know Dennis Daly got out like in March. Uh, it was kind of a, an early, late kind of deal. And then the rest of them, yeah, it's been a challenge. So, yeah, if he can get out, I think uh, I think that would be huge for him to go through spring practice in 2021. Um, I'm with you. You know, all the de- with with as many problems as they've had the secondary with with just depth. Uh, I'm for adding as many guys that they think can play uh, as possible, and I think you just got to keep doing it. Uh, I think this is also a stopgap because it's an older player. So maybe you're not – even if he comes in and he's a, a second-string guy or a top reserve, you're not depending on another true freshman or a redshirt freshman or a guy that hadn't played uh, at least a little bit of college-level football uh, to go out there and get things done. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of getting in-state junior college players back that are good enough. Uh, I think it's an advantage for South Carolina because Clemson does not take junior college players. So if you want to play – uh, power five level football and come back to your home state. The Gamecocks are basically your only option. And, and South Carolina sort of has a monopoly there. Uh, I think there's still a sig- stigma uh, thanks to Lou Holtz and the Juco Bonanza in the early two thousands that they participated in uh, with junior college players. But if you think about it through the years, you know, South Carolina, you know, probably since the Spurrier era, you know, during the Spurrier era for, for every Larry Freeman, you know, uh, there was a guy like Jasper Brinkley that they brought in that was really, really good. Uh, and I think this staff, um, you know, you mentioned better luck with JUCOs. And if you think about it, they're essentially two for three. Uh, and I know Jamarcus King had his issues. And I know Keyshawn Nixon, you know, didn't start all of his first year and then started and was kind of quiet his next year. But, you know, hey, he's playing for the Raiders. Um so individually, you know, he, he did a good job. And then Caleb Chalmers was a bust. But, you know, Chalmers essentially, Tony, though, was sort of like a transfer because he started at Clemson. He had been another place. Uh, and, and then you talk about Nick Harvey and then eBay, who played but wasn't ideal, and then uh, Jamel Cook, of course. So, you know, if you think about it, they're really two for three from the JUCO ranks. Uh, this is an in-state guy um, who, like – people have said was good enough to go play in college um, who just you know, didn't have the grades and had to go get things done on the other end. And I think taking guys like that's important, especially if they're talented and especially uh, at this position. Well, we mentioned earlier the whole world had kind of stopped. And, and Tony, I, I just uh, – I put a small update up on the board yesterday just talking to some folks over the weekend, both at Carolina and uh, other programs around college football – um, and it seems to me like everything's just basically up in the air. I mean, you know, guys that, that I've talked to are basically recruiting as best they can uh, using technology and, and stuff like that. And then having family time, you know, hanging with their family, uh, going fishing, <laughs> you know, things like that. 
Um, and really, there aren't any hard and firm answers out there as far as, you know, is there going to be a makeup for spring practice? What about a new another recruiting period when this thing gets started back up? But so I just wanted to kind of get your take on, you know, what are you what are you hearing, if anything, as far as what could happen and what, what do you think will happen? Boy, those are tough questions to answer right now. I think a lot depends on what happens these next couple of weeks. You know, obviously, you know, President Trump has come out and said he'd hope to start reopening parts of the economy and, and different businesses uh, around Easter or the week after Easter. And if it tracks to where uh, that happens, then, you know, they, they may be on pace to, to still have at least summer camp in June or July. Um, you know, maybe give the, the, the players at the different schools an opportunity to, to make up some of those practices in the spring that they're missing over the summer. Uh, you know, even if it's just in, you know, with no pass, you know, just giving them the opportunity to be on the field and, and have that chance to work with the coaches. And, and especially in South Carolina's case, when they're installing a, a completely new offense, you know, I think it, it puts South Carolina at a disadvantage uh, if they're not able to practice again until the fall uh, versus, you know, say a program that, that has a set system that the players already know and uh, they aren't changing anything majorly on offense or defense. But, um, you know, I, I just think these next two, three weeks or so are going to be really big for not just football, but I think for uh, the country in general. Um, you know, I think the, some of the – obviously any, every death is, is terrible, but the, the fact that the death rate is looking like it could be substantially lower than initially thought I think is a positive. Um, and, you know, we're just going to have to see how this thing tracks – uh, these next two or three weeks. But I think the coaching staff is, is preparing for the possibility that not only could they maybe not practice again until the summer, but, but they may not have camp at all. Uh, there's been you know some feeling in the program that that may not happen. And they're going to have to adjust if that's the case, because this is a staff that has put a lot of emphasis on working with players individually in summer camp as they make their evaluations. And, and it's going to, you know, put them in a position where they're going to have to, to make some offers or make decisions on offers with less information to go on. So uh, especially the, you know, the wide receiver position, I think is the one that, that, you know, a lot of people have their eye on. I put some, uh, an article out this morning that, that gave some clarification on why South Carolina hasn't offered any of the in-state wide receivers yet. And if they don't get those players in camp, then, it's going to make those evaluations even tougher. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the staff handles it, if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, they put a ton of emphasis. And this is a class two, Tony, where, you know, you're going to have to go make some evaluations. You know, you're, you're not going to get what with the headwinds they're facing. Um, and, look, there's two sides to this coin. Because on one hand, you know, you're not going to get – um, a lot of the known quantity or the known entities right now, you know, you're, you're the, the four and five star guys that have lengthy offer sheets, the known guys, you know, maybe you, you build a relationship, you get one, you get two, um, that kind of thing. Uh, so, so in that, in that way, you know, you're kind of looking at it with concern going, well, you're not going to get this. So you need to get somebody that's just as good that and so you got to evaluate them. And how are you going to evaluate them without camp? The flip side to that is, though, if you go beat the bush, um, if you're not having camp, Georgia's not having camp. If Georgia's not having camp, Clemson's not having camp. And if they're not having camp, Florida's not having camp. Nobody's having camp if you're not having camp. 
So, like, in the case of a guy like a Devontae Wyatt a couple of years ago where, you know, South Carolina was the first school to offer him in summer camp and then he blew up and ended up at Georgia. Um, in, in cases like that, maybe you do steal a few, you know, because, you know, they, they, they get the offer from South Carolina, they commit, and they don't um, – you know, they don't really look anywhere else or camp anywhere else or get the interest from anywhere else because, you know, those schools are kind of going with known entities. So so it is a double-edged sword in some ways, uh, particularly with how unique this 2021 cycle is unfolding. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see uh, on that. All right, that's all the time we have on the Football Insider episode. Sorry for the shortness, but there's just not that much to talk about. Uh, here on the Inside the Game Cost podcast. We'll be back from time to time with breaking news and analysis while we're kind of locked down. I'll be back some. Tony and I will be back. Going to try to do this every Wednesday uh, to get you guys going. But, um, you know, we're not going to sit here and just yammer if there's there's no news or anything to do. We had some news today, so we got the chance to do that. All right, so for Tony Morrell, J.C. Sherbert, this has been Inside the Gamecocks. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe.